Instead of fighting the crowds this holiday season, Walmart wants to do it for you. Its new Delivery Unlimited program rolls out this fall, saving consumers time and sanity. Legacy brands Gap and Old Navy have reached a new milestone in their separation. While Gap is taking care of the kids, Old Navy will focus on aggressive store expansion. And this just in, Gen Z consumers actually prefer shopping in good old brick-and-mortar stores. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, September 23rd, and this is your Retail Rundown. Our guests today include Paula Rosenblum and Bob Fibbs. Paula is a top industry analyst and managing partner and co-founder of Retail Systems Research. Paula also serves on the Rethink Retail Advisory Council. Bob, also known as the Retail Doctor, is an internationally recognized business strategist, speaker, and brick-and-mortar expert. Paula, Bob, thank you both for joining today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Of course. So the first retailer we're going to look at today is Walmart. They're back in the news this week after announcing the expansion of its Delivery Unlimited program. It's rolling out nationwide this fall, and similar to Amazon Prime, customers have the option to pay a yearly fee of $98 or a monthly fee of $12.95 in exchange for unlimited Walmart grocery home delivery for various produce, meat, dairy, and bakery items, along with pantry staples, consumables, and select general merch. The program supports Walmart's existing grocery pickup services and clears the way for a future in home delivery service. Bob, considering that 82% of U.S. households have an Amazon Prime membership, do you think it's possible for Walmart to saturate the market by 2025? Well, that's a good question. What do you call saturate for one thing? But um, look, I think we have to get out of this. It's either or. Customers are shopping in multiple channels through multiple means. And frankly, at $100 for a year, I think um, an awful lot of consumers could certainly afford that. So the one that I was surprised is I didn't see anything about Target's partnership with Shipped um, and how that is affecting everything. Those three players are certainly in the battle against everybody else. Would you agree, Paula? I would. I will say that this is where having local stores really does work to both uh, Walmart and Target's advantage. I confess, I use a lot of grocery home delivery. And um, when Whole Foods was still with Instacart, I really preferred using them because I like their products. However, now you can only get them through Amazon. And it becomes embarrassing because they don't take it from the store anymore. They take it from some warehouse about 20 minutes away. And being in Miami, they have to be pretty careful about insulating everything. And frankly, it's embarrassing. I mean, I got a loaf of bread with two huge blocks of dry ice around it. And so it becomes ecologically unfeasible for me. So I really like Walmart's chances. I don't know what market saturation looks like. I know that $98 a year for anything I want to get. And if I just forgot to buy three things last time and I can get them free delivery with that, that's really great for me if that's what they're going to do. Overall, I really like what Walmart's doing, and I really like what Target's doing because they're leveraging their actual stores. Yes, this is a place where Amazon, I think, has some competition with the grocery market and the increasing need for convenience. And um, I think some consumers might eventually try to choose between one or the other if Walmart gets to a point where they have you know, more products, more third-party sellers, and they can deliver similar products to Amazon for most categories, and people might make the switch. I guess there's one other thing I wanted to mention, and that is the software that they use, the way they allow. And one of my issues with Instacart 
well, I tried to use Target once and I got overwhelmed, is some degree of personalization, some degree of recommendation. Like, for example, I would like to be able to say, I don't eat meat, I don't eat poultry, I eat some fish, but mostly I'm a vegetarian, and that would help really limit a lot of the options that are shown to me. Instacart tries to let me know what I've bought before, but their software is a little buggy, and things drop off and come on randomly, and their um, substitutes are not very good. So I would like to see, I think that the market just gets bigger if you can add more personalization to it. Definitely. I would just add in, though, that, um, you know, Amazon and Walmart are not two of the most revered companies in America. I think a lot of people have a very bad taste on Walmart. I think we're learning an awful lot about Amazon, that there is a ugly side to it. And so I think you have to factor in that uh, this is not a done deal for either of these two companies. I think the... PR, they're trying to spin everything, is still at odds with what people's perceptions have been of both of these retailers. I agree. And I will say there, you know, I read a Bloomberg article just last month, and it it was basically talking about, you know, how Amazon constantly scans for uh, products on other platforms, and it basically penalizes any sellers on their platform who are offering the same products, um, you know, for lower prices elsewhere. So say it's walmart.com, and they'll alert that company selling the products and say, hey, we're going to make it harder to discover and purchase your product because your price is not competitive on our platform. And add the Wall Street Journal article this week, since we're talking about the week in review, uh, about how they have um, adjusted their algorithms and so that it is really only going to be showing their products and their brands and how that all fits in. And I think at some point, people are going to say, that's not really my decision that I'm willing to keep giving over to somebody. And Mm -hmm. I want what I want and the brands that I want. And I think the narrative from a few years ago that it's just going to be these two big blockbusters that are going to be um, duking it out. I think Target certainly is a strong one, but I don't know that the winner is necessarily going to be the big boys. I think it's going to be a lot of other players underneath. I mean, I have to say, though, before we move on to anything else we're going to talk about, I have to say that Walmart has been making some impressive moves, at least from my point of view. And as someone who didn't love them much, I'm starting to really warm up to them because I think they've been, uh, since Doug McMillan took over, they've been trying to be a little bit of a better karma company. And um, Amazon, on the flip side, (laughs) feels like they're determined to become a bad karma company uh, between the the HQ2 debacle and lowering the the hourly wages for their in-store workers at Whole Foods. I don't ever write Walmart off anymore. I thought Walmart had hit the top of their market, and I don't think they have anymore. I think they have headroom, and and to Bob's point, Target has a really good opportunity, definitely. Target does. They're just, you know, maybe not covered as frequently because they're a smaller player somewhat, you know, in comparison. But it is interesting to see how their partnership with Shipt will keep getting better. And I think the user experience is probably pretty solid on their platform. Yeah, they're also pretty bullish on buy online and pick up in store. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I believe that on their last earnings call, um, their CEO talked about the incremental revenue associated with that and that it was really good. I mean, we know that Walmart says it gets double the basket size, which is one reason they're rolling it out to the rest of the country. But Target also is reporting just an enormous boost in sales because of the way they're doing this. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's great. 
Okay, we'll move on to Gap and Old Navy. So breakups are never easy or cheap. And the latest news from the Gap Old Navy separation shows an expensive road ahead. Gap and its sub-brands, that's Banana Republic, Athletica, Janie and Jack, and Hill City, will take a step back from regional malls in order to find itself likely settling in e-commerce. Meanwhile, Old Navy, now single and ready to spend, has set its $10 billion sales goal on nearly doubling its physical stores. Obviously, there are some differences between Gap and Old Navy that just can't be figured out. Paula, why do you think these legacy brands can't make it work? Well, I don't know how they, um, I don't know with the transaction associated with the breakup. I don't know if Gap was just looking for some money, to be honest with you. And so they spun it off for that reason. Um, there's some pieces. I don't know, Bob, do you know, or is there a big financial benefit to Gap for this? I think the goal was that they thought cutting Old Navy loose would raise their profile and certainly be able to get more people excited about it since um, being attached to the gap, I think a lot of people thought was a losing situation. So it's kind of like cutting your losses, kind of like VF did with cutting North Face and then they decided to just work on Lee and Wrangler. Um, I think it's that same general idea to let the better brand run. But having said that, their comps were also down in the first quarter. They suddenly are not the darlings that I think they were when they first announced this many months ago. So one thing I would say is having read stories about their planned store rollouts, I would say they haven't learned much from the mothership. And that is that overexpansion is death. I mean, I mean, long, long ago, I started talking about how gap, what happens is if you sign up for a mall, they'll generally give you radius restrictions that say you can't have a store within X number of miles of our mall. In fact, retailers, as they're building their chains, they create their own internal radius restrictions in a sense. And they say, well, we can do all right if we're within X number of miles from each other. If we get closer than that, we're going to cannibalize ourselves and it's not really a useful thing. And what happened is as Gap was under pressure to grow, 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 they, they kept busting through their own internal radius restrictions, if you will. And they added way too many stores. And I believe in the last five or six years, they've cut them by two-thirds, if I remember the number correctly. Uh, there, were, there were two big slugs and a couple of smaller slugs. And so I worry that that Old Navy is about to do the same thing, that they're going to overcommit to stores because they've announced, like you said, they're single and they're ready to spend <laughs> and doubling their physical stores. I'm not sure why they're doing that. And I wouldn't think it was a good idea. I don't trust Gap to save my life. I think that 800 stores is outrageous. I don't think it's like Amazon drone delivery. Whenever that came out five years ago, it's going to be here tomorrow. And I think it's the same PR company telling us that, um, look at all the hope we have. It doesn't make sense. I mean, Forever 21 is on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. You look at H&M not that long ago, a year ago, whatever, had $4 billion worth of unsold merch. They compete in the same category as Old Navy. But that's surprising, right? Because it's fast fashion, right? And it's value. You know, Oracle and NetSuite, we did a survey recently in uh, this last January, and Gen Z and millennial customers are starting to look at quality. And so I think Mm -hmm. the tide is turning for just old, cheaply built products that are disposable. There's a whole ecological thing to it. There's a social consciousness to it. It doesn't speak to that market. And yet, 
typical GAF fashion, well, we know better. I don't think our PEC knows better. I mean, they still have 40% off sales every weekend saying this weekend only. So mm-hmm. um, That's their I, going in number in the, in the holiday <laughs> season is 40% off. It is. It's, that's last, right. It, it, it is. It went from 30 to 40 at Old wow. Navy. And they don't know who their customer is. I think someone had had surfaced, oh, well, Old Navy's going to go to underserved, you know, poorer communities. Okay, but why? I mean, (laughs) and the amount, to your point earlier there, uh, Julia, the amount of the breakup is significant. It's something like 700 million to gap at a company that can't afford to keep their flagship open in New York City. It's just following Sears and bad retailing down the same path. If there was a compelling reason, you know, if they were like a Lululemon, who I think certainly understands who their customer is, realized, wow, we haven't had men in our stores. Let's figure that one out. They went back to the market. They did it. They're opening that beautiful space in Chicago with restaurants and all these other things. They understand. I don't think anyone that we've seen at Gap has done it. They've been through a host of merchandising and VPs, and they still haven't figured it out. So why would you believe that? Old Navy is now going to be able to make a run of adding this enormous amount of retail at a time when Pennies and a lot of other companies are having distress sales because they have too much inventory. So why would I go and buy? Why wouldn't I be attracted to the higher discount of something that might be a little better as these stores go out of business? Well, and, and to your earlier point, the fast fashion and the cheap fashion business is oversaturated. We live in this it's amazing for a smart world and smart people. We consistently seem to want to believe that markets are infinite, and they're not. And the fast fashion market is kind of, at the moment, capped out. That's mm-hmm. why H&M had trouble. That's why Forever 21 is having trouble, is that there's only so big of a market for anybody. And that market size may flex depending on fashion. You know, like if you think of Sun, at some point... Surfer gear was really trendy, and so they expanded to meet that need. It stopped being trendy, and they had to compress themselves back down again. But this is kind of worse than that. This is the presumption that it's all waiting for me, darling. No, it's not. Right. I would have to add, and I know it's a little off topic, but the same with secondhand and rental clothing. I think we are in for a huge wake-up call, Macy's and JCPenney, that the way forward is being a middleman for leftover garage sale um, items that there's a demand for. When their recession does come, and we know it's coming, I just don't see how this makes any sense either. But that's another day. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we could go into that, um, you know, for hours. But I agree. And I think that even though Old Navy put up the same positive same store sales for at least the past three years, um, which they talked about, I believe, in their investor presentation, you know, it's just like Paula said, can they really expect that same kind of return by doubling their physical presence when a lot of other value brands are closing their doors? I don't know. The other question we don't know the answer to is what, or maybe we do, and it's just not showing anywhere I'm seeing it, is how profitable are they? How profitable can you be when an average clothing margin is 50% and you're running 40% off? Mm-hmm. That's a good point as well. We'll have to look into that. I don't know um, if I've come across that either. Paula, Bob, any last comments where we go to the last news topic? No, everyone's going to hate us, I think, when this is done. 
fun, but I think we're both being realists, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that retail needs more realists around it. Well, I just think that we don't buy the PR because Paul and I are in the same world. We are basically merchants. We understand that there's an infinite way that you can slice the onion, but at some point, it's still not holding together. If there was... I think there would be more people who would be rallying behind it and saying, this is great. I hear more head scratching. Kind of the same thing, just to go back to Amazon and the Whole Foods workers cutting the benefits at this company that had this whole ethos and saying, oh, it's really not much different. Well, you do enough of those and people start saying, you're not my brand anymore. Right, exactly. Wait, this doesn't add up. Yeah. A new survey was just released by A.T. Kearney, and it shows that 81% of 14 to 24-year-olds, so that's Gen Z consumers, prefer brick and mortar as their channel for shopping. And they also found out that Gen Z is reportedly stressed out by the constant connection they feel to digital uh, with their mobile phones. And it's possible there may be a correlation between their preference to shop in-store to mental health. So they get to take a step back and shop and be a little bit disconnected while they're browsing physical items in the store. So, Bob, what do you think about these findings? Should retailers think carefully before they incorporate a lot of digital elements within their stores? Well, that's funny because, again, going back to our survey we did with Oracle NetSuite about, uh, at this point, nine months ago, we found the same thing, that more than two in five Gen Z and millennial customers plan on doing more shopping in physical stores. And while nearly all retailers believe VR is going to increase traffic or some of the other AI, um, less than 12% of actual people and shoppers thought that that was going to add to it. So I think it's confirming this idea that people go into a store to feel they matter and people who feel they matter buy more. It's that simple. So if your idea is we're going to put up a virtual head that's going to answer people's questions (laughs) remotely and that's going to be it, or you think you're bringing the game by having an Instagram feed in our stores and all these other bells and whistles at the end of the day, and I'm sure Paula would agree, it's about converting and adding on. That's all any retailer should be giving a damn about right now. Enough people are walking into your stores right now to make up the difference in lower traffic. One other statistics that we got out of our survey with Oracle NetSuite, more than half of consumers are feeling stressed, anxious, alone, overwhelmed, or confused in a store. And only 39% of consumers feel confident in going into a retail store today. So what does that tell us? The ideas of Endless lines, and that's an oldest trick in the book, right, Paula? We'll just add more lines and look how much better sales will be. It's like, no, unless it converts, you didn't know who your shopper was, and you're trying to throw as much stuff at the wall. And now you make it electronic and digital, and you have buzzwords around it, but at the end of the day, you're not converting. And if you're not converting, it's usually because people don't feel anything when they walk in and they feel worse going in because they were confused and overwhelmed. And my last point is, how many sales retailers that should have been yours walked out your door today? That's what should keep you up at night. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I think there's several things worth noting. If you're an apparel retailer, you really want the customer to come to the store because as returns become a proxy for a dressing room, and returns are really expensive. I mean, Mm -hmm. you get a return rate of 7% or 8% in a store if you're bad, and you get a return rate of 30% online if you're good. (laughs) And the difference is that you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't see it. Mm -hmm. Now, along with that is what I call the big ask. And the big ask is 
to have employees that stay longer than they used to stay, and that we have a retention plan, that we have a living wage. And the reason for that is that you want these people to stay now. You want them to stay so that they know the product, so that they can engage with consumers and they can engage in value-added activities. Why this is a big ask is that for years you hear retailers bemoaning the high rate of in-store turnover. The dirty little secret behind that is that the entire retail model is built around the presumption of a transient workforce who you never have to pay fringe benefits to or raises to because they leave fast enough, which keeps your payroll at a particular percent of sales. And now, even though everyone says, oh, my God, my turnover is so high, it's kind of by design. It's just been around so long, they're not even aware of it anymore. And so now you've got this issue where you need to have engaged in-store employees to work with these people who are basically, as you said, alone, <laughs> you know, lonely, connected to their devices, not wanting to talk to a talking head on a screen, but actually wanting to work with somebody. And how do you do that and make your store a destination instead of just loaded with products that you've bought from who knows where and whatever on placing very, very safe bets? I don't want to minimize what we're asking retailers to do because it's a lot. Mm-hmm. They actually have to sit down and figure out how do I optimize non-selling activities with technology so that I can free up employees to actually do something in the store? I mean, one example I'll use is when Hubert Jolie first came to Best Buy. He took the security guy at the door, who I guess was there to prevent shrink, and said, this guy is now on the selling floor. (laughs) And I'm sure they did something else to prevent shrink because their shrink didn't go through the roof. What did go through the roof is their numbers started getting better and better and better and better as they created a better in-store customer experience. So that's the challenge is how do we find the low-hanging fruit and high-hanging fruit that's wasting employees' time so that we can nurture them so that we can work with them and we can get them to stay so that they can engage with customers. Mm -hmm. I would add on that to your point of all the merchandise you have in your store. Let's be honest, it's all private label now because that's the tricky thing. Yet you're using all the premium brands to try to get the people in the store and you're hiring Gen Z and millennials who don't have money to buy a thousand dollar purse or something and you don't train them. And the baby boomers come in because from a generation of damn it, I'm 60 years old, I want to buy that $1,000 purse. And they're met with a kid who doesn't care, or better yet, they actually feel worse because now they're looked down on because somehow they're not conscious consumers or something. And you have a whole generation war as well as the only thing they can sell is what's on sale, hence Gap and some of the other ones, meaning the premium items sit. So the premium items sit, and now every retailer should be worried about what happens to the top end of my market? That's what balances those everyday low prices or those loss leaders. And that's, to your point, Paula, it is a wake-up call because what else are you going to do? You know, there's always somebody cheaper now, whether in a physical store or online. Price lever doesn't work. It's broken. And you now have a group of people who are working in retail who can't afford the merch selling to people who want it. And without training, of course, I'm a retail sales trainer, so that's probably uh, my bent, but 
it's the only thing that matters, conversions and add-ons, and it's a direct result of how much you value your employees and associates. I'm going to give you the flip side of that as well, and I've had this experience a few times. I am nothing if not a casual dresser. I mean, I am just as casual as they come. And I also have expensive taste, particularly when it comes to handbags, jewelry, and cars. (laughs) And in each one of those circumstances, I have been blown off in a retail environment because there was a presumption I couldn't afford what they were selling. And they were way wrong. I mean, I will never, and I'll name it because I don't care, I'll never buy an Audi because I was treated when I went to their store. I happened to have a BMW that I kept for 15 years because you don't drive a stick shift in Miami, and I had bought it in Boston before I moved. So I came up, the guy looked at my license, he looked at my registration, saw that I had at the time a 12-year-old BMW, and said, you must be wanting to look at the used cars. Wow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I said, well, I'll take your car for a drive. And of course, then I had to tell him, because I'm really a car aficionado, I had to tell him all the things that were wrong with his vehicle, and then I just left. Um, you know, I've I had just a bought a new Audi. I just got the Q8. It's awesome. Ooh. I was looking at a convertible, A3, A4, I forget which. That just goes back to bad training again. And I think there's a whole gender <laughs> thing really going on there, trainer. right? I mean, the audio industry is not exactly the pinnacle of customer experience, right? Well, but when you're buying a $50,000 car, you, I mean, I had a much better experience buying from Mercedes, quite honestly. Mm. But moving on from there, you know, I go up to Bell Harbor and I get snubs here and there, you know, going into, um, they were, I'm not going to name the store, but, you know, looking at me askance because I wanted my ring fixed. Um, it was a very high-end ring. And handbags, I don't do badly. I buy them online now. So, so I don't have that issue. But I really have had the experience of a, probably a poorly trained person who judges. And in Miami, you should never judge books by their cover because nobody dresses normally here. <laughs> they don't, just the old people do, you know. Yeah, but who um, does? I mean, that's Mark what, Zuckerberg well, could walk into a store in his flip-flops and beat up jeans like he normally does in his hoodie, and people would treat him pretty badly, too. I mean, we are in this age of dismissing people, and I think that's what makes retail such a great thing, is it teaches, it normalizes people. You have to right. like them before they're going to like you. It's the opposite of social exactly. media, and that's what makes community, and that's what makes the world a better place. And I truly believe that, that because retail has been... Uh, monitored by the bean counters for so long and so much training is gone and so much passion about meeting another person, being curious about them, that it becomes a stale environment. And ultimately, as a community, we're worse off because nothing got us over that. It's about someone other than you. And I think if we fix that, which I think a lot of retailers, again, go back to Lululemon, go back to Container Store. There's several that do a great job of that. Um, they are changing the way communities run, but that takes a big commitment. A huge commitment. And the human element, I think, is what we're getting at. And it's just so important, something that's missing with a lot of retailers. But like Paula said, it takes so much time to change culture, to change training and get the technology where it needs to be to free up their time. But yeah, I, I had a personal experience two days ago where I was in a store. I was just picking up, I think, black tights. And the employee just finished folding the jean display. And she announced to her coworker, who was like 20 feet away, you know, no one come over here and touch these jeans. They're not for sale, you know, because she just finished folding them. And I was like, wow, you know, there's just there's so much that needs to change. And then the very next day I was in another store and, um, you know, I was clearly looking for something that 
wasn't there. I was a little bit frustrated. And there was a girl with a scanner and she walked right past me. Didn't, <laughs> didn't ask if I need help, you know? And so they're enabled. They have the scanners in their hand, but they don't notice the shoppers. So to your point, but that's where we've devolved is it's task management. It's move this here, inventory that, pick the order to go online. And those damn customers, if we just get rid of them, we'd be <laughs> fine. And right. that's what I don't understand for a Nordstrom or a Neiman Marcus or some of the other luxury brands who have missed the mark of what great customer service is and complain how tough it is to have their job. It's like, damn it, elevate your shopping experience. Mm -hmm. Elevate what got you there because you've clearly forgotten it. Somewhere down the line, you let that go. And now you get stories like that because they shouldn't, those people didn't belong in retail to begin with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think Gen Z will show us, you know, a lot of them are still teenagers, but as their, you know, share of Walt grows, they're going to probably be demanding more from retailers, from the employees who work there and that personal experience that allows them to get away from the constant connection with their phones. Any last comments, Bob or Paula, before we close out? I think this has been a really great conversation, actually, with to realists. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> well, that's very true. Paula and I, we do spar a few times on Retail Wire, but I think that ultimately <laughs> we come from the same place, which is we can do better than this. And I think yeah. that's what we're saying. And I think that's what we see with, again, I go back to Target just because everybody poo-pooed them two years ago. You're putting mm -hmm. 7 million into brick and mortar stores. What are you thinking? <laughs> and even Walmart, you know, they put in 200 training centers around the nation a few years ago. And the smart ones get it. For us to survive, we have to invest in the store. Yeah, I agree. I'm, and the clickbait of retail, I'm going to say this because this is my plug for this, the clickbait on the retail apocalypse, it's a tired story. It may give you a click, but you're not helping the industry. You're not helping customers and you're certainly not helping yourself because it's not true. Definitely not true. I think we've seen that retail's not dying. It's not going away. It's just evolving. Right. And people put out distorted sort of store closure numbers and presume that people are just going to eat it and say, yes, that's true. And it's not. Except they'll be able to have drones delivering their turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> they need so yeah, what there's, that, there's a threshold though. I mean, it's got to be a small turkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. no, it's going to be really good because down in Miami, the vultures come to spend the winter. And so you could see the drone coming along and the vulture just snapping the turkey out of its... Like, yeah, it's already cooked for me. Perfect. That's right. Well, Bob, Paula, thanks so much for joining the show. I really enjoyed our discussion. I hope to have you again on soon. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Anyway. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Bob. Nice chat. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.